Sunday Sermons from Trinity UMC in Lincoln, a podcast to help on the faith journey. Now on to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Slater. Over the past few months, and and I do mean that, ever since about the first of the year, I've had more people come and talk to me about wills and prearranging their funerals. Now, that's kind of interesting. Part of me wonders if it's the pandemic. Maybe it's just made us all think uh, the state of the world and all of that. You know, maybe I contributed to it. Remember the January sermon series uh, talked about resume virtues versus eulogy virtues. And I asked you all what you, wa- what you wanted people to say about you at your funeral. So maybe, maybe I'm responsible for all the, uh, all the uh, prearrangements going on. But, you know, it's important to think about. Uh, and I know when, uh, when our first child was born... Uh, we, uh, we, that's when we first put together a last will and testament and the, and the various documents that it's good to have, uh, in part because we'd heard stories of, uh, you, know, uh, you know, heaven forbid, it almost never happens, but when something bad does happen to the parents, you want to have things in place so that the state doesn't get uh, overly involved. You, you get the idea, right? Uh, not that we had anything to pass on yet, <laughs> but it's still important to do. And as I say this, we should probably update it because it, it, it should be looked at every now and then. And you know, there's the nuts and bolts of what kind of an estate you'll leave, but what I talked about in that January sermon series was more about how you'll be remembered. You know, what kind of a person, you know, live today the way you want people to remember you when that day eventually comes. Last things are important, and what we choose for them speaks volumes about us. Now, I'm starting out this way this morning because today we begin Jesus' last conversation. Jesus' last full conversation with his Bible, with his disciples. And he begins it with no talking at all, but instead by doing something. Now, I should fill you in if, you're, uh, if you haven't been for the last few weeks. Uh, we're doing a series right now called John, the Gospel of Light and Life. And uh, as a church, we're reading through the Gospel of John over the, uh, over the uh, season of Lent. And even if you didn't start at the beginning, it's not too late. Pick up one of these bookmarks. You can see, uh, oh, look, luckily I grabbed the right one. You can see all my little ticks on there. I'll show it to the live stream. You see all my little ticks on there as you go through. But Monday through Saturday, you read just a short passage in John, and when you do, you'll know it's the same passage that a lot of us here at Trinity are reading that day. It's the same passage I'm reading today, and we put them up on our Facebook page too with an easy link uh, to make it even simpler. Uh, But uh, doing it, you follow along through Jesus' life as John presents it, and John is always less about the details of the story and more about what they mean, what Jesus is, what it says, what it reveals about Jesus. And I do want to give some credit to the Church of the Resurrection. Uh, This is one of those series where I got the bones from them, the skeleton, even if the scriptures themselves speak directly to us each week. Now, there are five chapters. So there's 21 chapters in John entirely. So 21, we have to do a little math here. 21 chapters, five of them, are about Jesus' last conversation with his disciples. 
Now think about that. Almost a full quarter of the Gospel of John is this one conversation, this one meal, this last supper that he had with his disciples and what he did and what he said. Uh, uh, Scholars usually call it the farewell discourse. You don't really need to know that. (laughs) It is chapter John 13, uh, John chapter 13 through 17. So on the bookmark, let's see, we'll actually get to it on, what is that, Monday, Tuesday, On Thursday, we'll get to that this week. You'll begin the farewell discourse. And I'm going to dedicate two sermons to it, this week and next. And today's is how he starts this last conversation with his disciple. And the sermon today is really simple. It has three points and they're even on the screen. An example, a command, and a promise. So first, the example. They arrive at the room that they had gotten for the Last Supper. Uh, some, uh, some sources say it was an upper room. I don't think it really matters if it was upstairs or downstairs. But you know, our United Methodist devotional book is called The Upper Room in honor of this conversation. And uh, when they arrive at the room for the Last Supper, the first question that would happen in, uh, in uh, the first century Judea is about foot washing. Now, you have to understand a little bit about what foot washing was about. Uh, It was basic hygiene, kind of like washing hands is today, only a little more more important. So footwear, uh, they they did not have nice red wing boots in the ancient Near East. (laughs) What they had were thin strips of leather that you would strap to the bottom of your foot. Now, that's not even quite a sandal, right? It's literally a thin strip of leather, leather on the bottom of your foot. People had tougher soles back then because they walked on them all their life. And really that thin strip of leather wasn't enough to protect you from the bumps. You know, it was still uncomfortable walking on most roads. It would, however, protect you from anything sharp. And that's kind of why it was there. There was no arch support or anything. However, as you walked through the day, your feet got dirty. Your feet got really dirty. And let's remember that it's not just dirt that would have gotten on your feet. Are you following me here? It's not just dirt that would have gotten on your feet. That's just part of what it meant to walk on dirt roads with lots of pack animals during those days. Then, when it came time for the meal, they didn't use tables that were at the same height as ours with chairs. That would have been a waste of resources, really, even to make the chairs. Instead, what they did was they sat, near, they sat on the floor uh, in a circle around each other and kind of had more of a table area set up. If you were, uh, you know, reasonably well off, you might have cushions you'd sit on. Otherwise, you'd just sit on the floor. Now, think about this. Where are your feet in relation to the food? They're right there with it. Your feet are right there with the food. So washing the feet is basic hygiene. You want to make sure you get all of the stuff off of your feet so that it doesn't contaminate and make you sick. So you see how it's kind of like washing your hands today? It was basic hygiene, only perhaps even more important than washing hands are today, which is still pretty much. Now, have you ever been in a public restroom and seen somebody leave without washing their hands? Have you ever seen it at a restaurant? Not what you want, right? (laughs) Foot washing is like that, only even more important. Now, feet are also personal. 
They really are. Uh, You don't just touch somebody's feet. It's a little weird, right? (laughs) Now, I keep trying to think of a modern equivalent of what it would mean to wash someone's feet. It's personal, it's dirty, and I can't can't think of a, I I wrote down a couple examples that went a little too far, but I'm not going to share them with you today. I've gone far enough. But let's just say it was the work of a servant, and it was disgusting work, and it was demeaning. So, The disciples arrive at the upper room for this last Passover meal with Jesus. And as the disciples entered the room, there was no servant, and they all walked past the basin and the pitcher and the towel. What do you think went through their minds as they walked past the basin and the pitcher and the towel? (laughs) Did, Did they want to do it? Nah. Now, they didn't have a servant, so one of them was going to have to do it, right? (laughs) By tradition, it would have been the one with the lowest status. Now, maybe they could have taken turns, you know, and washed each other's foot. But let's be honest. Have you you ever held the door for someone when a whole crowd is leaving? (laughs) If you do it for one, you're you're holding the door for everyone, right? So whoever gets down there and picks up that basin is, is probably going to end up washing all of their feet, and, and that means they're the lowest too. And these disciples, some of whom had a nasty habit of arguing about which one of them were the greatest, were kind of in a pinch. Like, do you remember that? I shared this uh, fairly recently. I don't remember where it was, and I forgot to put I forgot to put a marker in my Bible. I'll just say it. There was this argument between James and John, the author of this gospel, about which one of them was going to be greatest, which one of them was going to sit at Jesus' right hand, and which one was going to sit at his left hand. Never mind all those other disciples. I guess they don't get a hand, right? (laughs) And so they're still a little heated about this. And now one of them's going to have to wash the feet. So they had a little bit of a conundrum. And each one of them walks by that basin and thinks, should I? I mean, this is like leaving the restroom without washing your hands, right? uh, And then they kept walking. And then the next one comes in and walks by it and thinks, should I? And he keeps walking. And then Jesus comes in. And he kneels down on the floor, ties the linen towel around his waist, pours water in the basin, and starts scrubbing his disciples' feet. Jesus does it. Now, you're probably sitting there thinking, oh yeah, that's what leadership is, right? The good leader is the one who's not afraid to get his hands dirty. The good leaders, that was not an idea back then. <laughs> if you're thinking that Jesus is admirable for, do, ad, admirable for doing that, and you're right, he is, but that's not a thought they would have had back then because that started with Jesus. There is no evidence that I have ever seen in other ancient writings of this being a thing. These days we praise CEOs who aren't afraid to get their hands dirty. But in Jesus' time, that wasn't the state. Jesus getting down to wash his disciples' feet was just weird. <laughs> it was weird. It turned everything on, his he- on its head And it was a shock that nobody knew what to make of. But at the same time, they sensed that there was something loving about it. They sensed there was something good. They sensed there was something sacrificial. 
there had to have been part of them that in the strangeness of the moment could see that being humble was the real virtue, not honor. And so Jesus starts with an example. And then a command. He says, I give you a new commandment. Love each other. All right, that's pretty easy, right? <laughs> Love each other. But then he adds, just as I have loved you, you must love each other. Now, can I add the words that are between the lines? Y'all see that thing I just did with your feet? That's how you must love each other. This is how everyone will know that you are my disciples when you love each other. He says it straight out. This is what love looks like. It's not doing the thing that's easy. It's not doing the thing that's obvious. It's not doing the thing that makes you feel good. Well, occasionally it is. He says that love looks like this. Love is doing the thing that nobody wants to do because you care that much. Now, I've studied adult learning theory a little bit. Maybe there's some teachers in here who know what I'm talking about. But one thing that comes from adult learning theory is that just having an experience isn't enough. We also have to reflect on what that experience meant. So here these disciples just had this experience of Jesus turning everything upside down and washing their feet. But they aren't getting it. <laughs> they aren't getting it at all. It wasn't landing. Uh, you can tell from the things they say. You'll read it as you go through the bookmark this week. You can tell from what the disciples are saying and thinking. They just saw this whole foot washing thing and I just explained it, but they, they aren't getting it yet. <laughs> and so Jesus knows it needs more reflection and so he spells it out for them. He says, this is what it looks like to love. You give yourself, you sacrifice yourself. You do the thing that nobody wants to do. You do the dirty work. And you need to start loving like I just loved you. You need to start showing that kind of love to each other. And then Jesus really brings it home. He says, I need you to know this because I'm about to die. Now, Jesus knows this. The disciples are still in denial. Jesus knows that this is the last meal, even if the disciples don't believe it yet. And this is Jesus' last chance to get this message through his disciples' thick skulls. It's his last chance to say what he came for, to say what he needs, needs to say. And he says, I need you to get this because I'm about to die. And for at least three days, at least for three days, I'm not going to be able to help you figure it out, and you're going to really need to know this in this time. Now, can I be theological for a moment here? Well, it's all, it's all theological, but can I be extra theological for a moment? Jesus was about to do a lot more than wash feet. Jesus was about to do something bigger than any basin and towel. Jesus was about to do something bigger than whatever the disciple John had stepped in. Jesus was about to go to the cross 
something that wasn't just a gory death. It was also disrespect. It was also dishonorable. And through the disrespect, through doing the dirty work, he was about to show that sacrificial love can change the world. God was about to endure humiliation, even worse than the pain, that physical pain that came with it. And he wasn't going to be able to tell his disciples afterwards. He wasn't going to be able to hold their hands this time. They were going to have to see this. They were going to have to figure this out. They were going to have to learn about love for themselves. But at the same time, he could also tell that they were shocked, even scared by what was about to happen. They were still trying to mentally process the the feet thing, never mind the I'm about to die thing. I also don't think that Jesus knew exactly how it was going to play out. Yeah, he knew the broad strokes of it. I'm convinced of that. But I think he also knew there, there was going to be chaos that they would have to handle on their own. And so after an example and a command, he gives them a promise. And the promise he gives them is this. Don't be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. My father's house has room to spare. If that weren't the case, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When I go to prepare a place for you, I will return and take you to be with me so that where I am, you will be too. Now, I'm sure the disciples didn't understand the depth of what he was saying in the time. We still don't, do we? But I'm sure they also heard in his tone that what he was really saying was, don't worry, I've got you. Even when it looks like I don't have you, I've got you. In a few days' time, you will see that even death doesn't win. In a few days' time, you will see that even death doesn't win. Jesus isn't worried about the death part. He's worried about the disciples getting it when it happens. For a little while, he says, you won't see me, but it's only because I'm preparing things for you. You don't have to fear. You know, there's a moment at one of the other churches that I uh, served before coming here that has always stuck with me. There was a man, and I'm going to change, I want to be, I'm going to change his name here because I want it to be personal, so I'm going to use a different name. His name, his, his quote name was Clarence. And he had such a vibrant spirit, such a vibrant spirit. He was in his, gosh, he had to have been uh, in his mid-80s, maybe even late-80s. And he was always sweet, and he was a recent widower. In fact, I did the funeral for his wife. His wife was everything to him. He always talked about her. He always talked about what she had meant to him even after she died. And this particular Sunday morning, it was his birthday week. 
<laughs> and he was one of those men who, who really learned to take pleasure in the simple things of life. And so his birthday week was a big deal. <laughs> and so I knew it and I went down to him uh, before church and I saw him and I talked to him and wished him a happy birthday. Uh, and uh, he starts talking for a while and he says, you know what, it still hurts from when my wife died. I didn't come up with a fake name for her. You get it, right? <laughs> I still remember uh, when my wife died and it still hurts every day. And there's part of me that looks forward to when I die. And the confidence with which he said that, that's what stuck with me. And unfortunately, that's the part I can't recreate for you today. But he wasn't afraid of his own death. He knew that death was only a step, that death was, was only part of the story of what goes on. And he says, you know what? There's almost part of me, there's part, no, he didn't say almost. There's part of me that looks forward to the day I die. And then all of a sudden, his smile kind of softened a little bit. And he said, of course, I really don't hope it happens tomorrow. <laughs> but I'm not afraid when it does, he said. An example of what love looks like. A command that we need to learn to love like that too. And a promise that Jesus is going to help us do it. And when we struggle with it, we'll be there for us. That is at least part of what Jesus wanted to get through before his last day. May you hear it deeply. May I hear it. And may we share it. Would you pray with me? Oh God, thank you for the example of love. Thank you for easy love. <laughs> thank you for the warm, fuzzy love. God, thank you for those days when we hug someone we love and we feel it to the depth of our being. But thank you also, I pray aspirationally, God, thank you also for difficult love for love when we must get our hands dirty. Thank you for the opportunity to love one another in the ways that are hard. Help us to know Jesus' love, the ways you have gotten your hands dirty, so to speak, and literally in Jesus, the way you've shown that to us. And thank you that you prepare a place for us even now. And that when our going gets rough, we may know that you've got us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's Sunday Sermon. For more information on growth groups or how to more fully embrace the life of faith, visit us at www.trinitylincoln.org.